0: Alrighty. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. What is up? If, in case you were wondering, this is Jessica Seely, who's our children's pastor here at the church. Hi,
1: this is uh, Mike Barnsley, and he's the discipleship pastor here. Um, switching things up on on me
0: there. I did first. She was kind of ready. First service, I like sprung it on her. You could tell she was like, was "Wait w- a minute."
1: I was wondering <laughs> if I was going to introduce myself again. Yeah. This time. Hopefully well, we're do it.
0: regardless of who's introducing us, uh, if you're joining us online, thanks for being here. If you're here in the room, thanks for being here. We're psyched about it. And have you ever wondered, like, what is it we love so much about army speeches, about like battle speeches? You know, what is it that just moves us to be like, I just want to stand up and I want to
1: take action. up. Yeah. Right?
0: Well, freedom's one thing, yeah. (laughs) That's one thing. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that armies is a group that has one purpose and they have one mission. They're like united around that. And in movies, you know, like Narnia, Lord of the Rings, Braveheart, etc., a lot of times you see strong leaders who they're doing a couple different things. One, they're working hard to keep the focus where it needs to be. And the second thing is, along with that, is they're refusing to let obstacles get in the way of them accomplishing their goal.
1: Yeah, I love these movies so much. Um and part of that is uh I love watching how everybody just kind of comes together for one purpose and like they've got an idea of what they're fighting for, like it's good versus evil, and you find a side that you tend to like want to cheer for and you're like, I'm on team, what you know, whatever it might be. And um I also love I love Narnia, I love C.S. Lewis. Um, And so, yeah, those movies are just so good. And also uh, the part Mm -hmm. I love, especially like with Aragorn in um, Lord of the Rings, if you notice when he was giving his speech, did you watch how all of the armies like stood up straighter? Like everybody in the army the soldiers stood up straighter and like you hear their armor like kind of getting ready to go into battle like he his speech. Um, is what actually got the whole army, like, ready to rock and roll. Um, that, yes, they're fearful, but they knew where they were going. And so that's another piece, too. Like, a good commander that's in charge of an army, um, you know, knows that they are that they need to be on the same page, or they're going to end up going south really quick. Um, if you're not a good commander, you're going to end up um, you know, failing and, and your whole unit could end up getting hurt or killed. And so I just think those are just really great movies overall to just kind of show unity. And, um, I'm excited because we're actually going to be talking about that today and just Jesus's prayer for that. So,
0: and it's, it's kind of fitting because right now I would say in our culture in general, but even in our local church here, we've got a lot of things staring us in the face that make unity really, really hard. And we came up, actually, as we were talking about this, there are three of them that we think are kind of with us all the time. The first one is this COVID-19 mess that we're still in that really started escalating in March. Uh, We've got the racial tension going on in our nation and people saying, okay, so there's racial injustice, but how is it that we as the church are actually supposed to fulfill this ministry of reconciliation that we're called to? Um, How is it we do that? And there's a bunch of opinions on how we should be doing that. And then the last thing is this we've got an election three weeks away. And some of us maybe feel like, man, no matter how I plan to cast my vote, um, I'm probably going to burn a bridge, which is exactly what Brad challenged us last week not to do. Never, ever burn a relational bridge over a political point of view. But some of us feel like, man, no matter how I vote, I'm, I'm going to end up burning a bridge. And we're kind of asking the question all right, well, so if you bring this down to the church, are we actually sharing the same purpose? Are we united on that? Um, You know, are are we on the same mission? And for that matter, do we even really love each other? Like, really? Like, these are the questions that we're kind of asking ourselves, whether we say it out loud or we're just thinking them in our heads.
1: Yeah. And and I think too, like when you're, so we're going to be in John 17 today, um, but when you look at John 16, um, Jesus is actually talking about how we're going to have trouble Um, as we are in this world, right? Um, He says that, you know, we're going to experience grief, um, we're going to experience trouble, but to take heart, like this is the piece, take heart uh, because he's already overcome the world. And so even right now with everything that's going on, God is not surprised by any of this stuff that's happening. And at the end of the day, we need to recognize too that there is this war that's going on, but at the end of the day, God wins, right? Like God wins this war, and so, yeah, like give God praise for that. Um, God wins this war, and and yet there's all these little battles that are taking place right now that Jesus is actually inviting us into. And so we need to be prepared for that. We need to know how to walk into that. And um, Jesus is, you know, letting us know in John 16 about what that kind of looks like. It's kind of it's messy and it's hard and it's not easy. Um, but we get invited into that. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what that actually looks like um, as a unified church today.
0: Yeah, so some big questions that are kind of leading the charge as we go into John 17 are, well, why is it so important that the church actually stand united? Why would Jesus take the time to intentionally pray that over us? You know, like Brian read just a couple minutes ago, and well, what is actually getting in the way of us being united for that matter? And the last thing is, well, what do we actually do about this? Like, what does God want us to do to actively pursue unity? Because unity typically does not just happen on accident. It's not something you stumble into. It's something that you are super intentional about. And when it comes down to it, for those of you who are note takers and you're like, man, I'm going to forget 90% of this. If I don't write it down, I would say write down this one thing because it's what really gets driven home as we dig into this. It's that, um, well, as the church, not just the big C church but the little C church, SCC, we are called by Jesus. If you follow him to be one in purpose, to be one in love and to be one in mission. We are called to be one in purpose, one in love, and one in mission.
1: Yeah, so as we're going to jump into this today, um, this is kind of a a heavier topic, and so yeah, I'd love to just pray um, just before we enter this time of jumping into um, this beautiful prayer that Jesus uh, prays for us, for you, and for me, and uh, yeah, we'll dive into John 17, so let's go ahead and pray together. Uh, Father, I just want to thank you um, for the opportunity to get to serve you this way today. Um, I just pray that we would be a church that, uh, yeah, just is glorifying you through our unity and how much we love one another and that people would come to know you as Lord and Savior because uh, they just see our church actually living that out and living this prayer out, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: Y'all, let's go ahead. Let's just dive right in. If you'll flip to John 17, Jess and I are going to be reading from the NLT today. Uh, when, as we walked through it, it just Jesus' words just kind of came alive for us in that trans- translation. Uh, and you can go hard copy Bible, digital Bible. You want to jump on InsideSCC.org, click take sermon notes. You can take all your notes, have them emailed to you. It's pretty legit. Uh, and want wanted to just give you some background while you're flipping to that. So just kind of mentioned in John 16 what Jesus has said. We're going to be just after that. So yeah, Jesus warned his disciples, hey, times are going to get really hard. You're going to experience grief, but if you hang in there, your grief's going to turn to joy. I'm going to sustain you, and you can take heart in the fact, I've already overcome the world. And so Jesus, even when he's saying this stuff, On the human level, he has a little bit of struggle with this, because, you know, he is God in a bod. He's God become man. But he knows what's about to happen. He knows he's about to get arrested right after he prays this. He knows that the cross is just on the other side of that. And what I love so much, don't have a map today, But we do have this picture of the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, which is up on the Mount of Olives just outside Jerusalem. And this is where Jesus would have prayed this. And it looks a little bit modernized. They've decorated it. But when you look at these olive trees, some of these are so ancient, it is believed that they were standing in the garden when Jesus prayed this prayer. So the fact that Jesus prays this, you know, we can feel so detached from history a couple thousand years. But the fact those trees, if they could talk, they maybe say, oh, yeah, Jesus was right over there. He prayed this right over there. I love that. And so he gives his farewell message. He's getting ready to make this prayer. He's going to pray for himself. He's going to pray for his disciples around him then. Then he's going to pray for every believer that will ever come after that, all future believers. And when he prays it, he's not selfish. When you look at his words, he, he wants God to get the glory and people to see that. He wants God's will to be done. And Even though he doesn't have to pray out loud, he does pray out loud, almost like a gift to the disciples then and us now, because we can have this recorded. So let's read, starting in verse 9, what Jesus prays. He prays uh, to his father. He says, my prayer isn't for the world, but for those you've given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you've given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I'm departing from the world. They're staying in this world, but I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you've given me your name. Now, protect them by the power of your name so that they'll be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that no one was lost except for the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold.
1: Yeah, so as we're kind of like, you know, breaking this down. So um, the first half is all about Jesus and he's talking about God the Father and he's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? And the importance of this and why he's actually sharing this is because he wants to show us a picture uh, that he knows unity, um, that he actually understands unity. He is unity, right? Um, You've got God and then you've got Jesus who came and he was born just like you and I, and he experienced sin, he experienced temptation, he experienced what life was like, he experienced hardship. So, like, he gets it. Like, when we're talking about, you know, understanding that, he actually gets that. And so, um, and then when he goes and he dies on the cross, and he ends up ascending to heaven he gives us the gift of holy spirit and and that's awesome too like we actually have a counselor that is willing to come alongside us and and do life with us until we're actually united again someday with jesus in heaven Mm -hmm. and so as as jesus is praying this out it's a picture he doesn't have to say all of this stuff but he actually does he takes that time to show that he understands unity and that he understands that it's super important for us to understand that and that we understand that dynamic The other piece in it too is, um, you know, each one of them are distinct. Um, They're distinct in themselves and they've got their own, um, you know, jobs, if you want to call it, or like roles that they're playing in in our lives and in the lives of themselves in unity with one another. But at the same time, they are one. And so when you and I are created, we were created um, uniquely and wonderfully made. So everybody in this room has gifts and talents and, and you've got abilities that God has given you to live out. Uh, distinctly uh, from one another, so we're not all the same. But at the same time, there is this unity piece that God calls us to. That, in our own uniqueness and in our own wonderfullynessness, I don't even know if that's a word, Words, no. <laughs> uh, that we're made, um, that we're actually able to live that out. And and so it's a beautiful picture of what actually unity looks like. Um, and the other part I love in this too. It says that um, Jesus actually prays that he wants us to be guarded, and he wants us protected. Like Jesus, the Son of God, actually prayed for you and I to be loved and protected against. And so, um, you know, that first half is so important because it shows us that unity piece. And then he goes right into talking to uh, the disciples and the guys that he, he loved so much, um, the people that were actually doing life with him. And so we're going to actually pick this up um, in verse 13. And it says... Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in, the, in this world, so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice so they can be made holy by your truth. Yeah.
0: When was the last time you fell into the mindset of thinking that being here on this earth was a punishment? You ever fall into that? You think that, oh, I just got to get through today. Oh, Jesus, if you'd just take me now. You know, we, we all have that thought, But man, you start looking at Jesus's prayer and it's like, oh my gosh, like staying in the world isn't a punishment. This is a purposeful thing. Like he's praying for his disciples saying, hey, I was sent to do this. Now I'm going to send you to keep this going. At another point he says, man, you're going to see even greater things than you saw done when I was here on this earth. Jesus never, any point, wanted their focus to only be on the afterlife That wasn't his objective at all. He's saying, No, like, I've given you a life, and it's supposed to be a mission life. There is purpose. Your purpose isn't delayed. Your hope isn't delayed. Like, you can have this now. Even your grief you have, it's going to turn to joy if you hang in there and you trust me. Every single thing that had happened up to this point when he prays this to the history of the world is leading up to where Jesus is going to go defeat death, he's going to kick Satan in the mouth. That's what's getting ready to go down. And so he prays for his disciples. God, make them holy. Set them apart. Make them look like me. He asks, yeah, God, give them joy. He wants them to see that, you know, they're not just a citizen of earth. They're not just stuck on earth. They're citizens of heaven, which is something Craig's going to talk about a little more this next week. And so he talks about this, and a lot of them are probably thinking, you know, Jesus, it's a crappy time. It's a really horrible, difficult time to be a Jew in this world. We're here in this Roman Empire. We don't have a lot of rights. We're really questioning your plan and how it's supposed to fall in place and everything. But in the midst of all this, Jesus wants to know you got purpose. You're meant to be united in the middle of this. You need to see this big picture. There was a guy, when Sarah and I lived in East Tennessee, uh, we lived in this little downstairs apartment. Uh, the boys were born there. This was like 2010 to 2014 and there was this guy, he was our maintenance man, and he was, I don't know, probably in his 60s at this point. But one day we got talking football, and it was a horrendous time to be in East Tennessee because the football team at the time, the volunteers were just wretched. They were awful. So inevitably, if you talked football, you started talking about good teams that were actually doing well. So that meant you talked about the Alabama Crimson Tide. And one day he said, you know what, I knew Coach Bryant. Now, if you ever knew Bear Bryant, if you've never heard of him, he coached Alabama from like the late 50s to the early 80s. He had six national championships that he earned, Uh, just a very, very accomplished coach. And for some reason, this maintenance guy said he had a friend who worked for the team or something, and one day he got invited to go to practice. And when they went to practice, the way they had it set up was up above the practice field, there was like this booth, this crow's nest. And that was where Bear would go. Maybe he'd have a coordinator go up there, and he could see the whole field, what was going on. So for some reason, the maintenance guy, as a young dude, got to go up in this crow's nest. And so Bear's explaining how stuff works. And he, at one point, goes, hey, watch this. And he takes this chain that was mounted inside of the booth, and he chucks it out of the booth, which is made out of metal, and it just goes, bam, on the outside of it. And immediately down on the field, every player, every coach, everything went dead silent, and every eye went up to the booth. And Bear kind of leaned out and was like, points to one out of the field and just didn't even always say words, just kind of like, and they're like, We got it, coach. Every coach like ran to where they were, they saw the problem, they went fixing it. And Bear kind of laughed and he said, Man, it's crazy because I don't even really have to address the problem. I just have to be up here having my bird's eye view. And I point it out, and the coaches, they go, and they fix it. And it's this really cool thing. (laughs) And he was just amazed, and he's recounting this to me later. And what strikes me is, you know, that's kind of how Jesus is with our lives. You know, he's got, as God, he's got the crow's nest view. He sees the whole field. He wants us to be on the same page, every bit as bad as Bear wanted every player on his team and every coach to be united that day. And the Holy Spirit is kind of like that big metal chain that clanged to the outside that showed where stuff was broken, where stuff wasn't working right. And we're kind of like the coaches, that when we get the heads up and God's like, hey, there's brokenness here, there's a problem here, we rush and say, yeah, we got it, coach, and we go and we we fix it. But, you know, those coaches and those players, they were ready for that. They knew we have to be conditioned, because as soon as we hear that clanging chain, that means our eyes go there and we're listening. And we're in that spot when the Holy Spirit says, hey, there's brokenness, there's an issue. I want you over here. We, we got to be ready for that. We got to be united in doing that. So let's check out the last part of this prayer, verse 20. Jesus prays, I'm, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they'll all be one, just as you and I are one, as you're in me, Father, and I'm in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we're one. I'm in them and you're in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you've given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began
1: yeah so jesus has talked about the unity piece with you know within god the father the son the holy spirit then he's talking about his unity like with his people like the the disciples that were actually living life with them Mm -hmm. and that he was actually word in the flesh right and so he's talking about that piece and then this last prayer is so awesome because it's actually for you and for me um it's the future believers of the church it's that it's those that are going to come after And so um, I love this so much because, um, I mean, God, you know, sent Jesus, and Jesus prays this for us, and it's intentional. And sometimes we can kind of just gloss over that, but, like, he didn't have to pray this. This is so intentional on his part on why he prayed it. Um, so, one of the things uh, I was listening to recently, Matt Chandler did a uh, message series on this very um, topic. And he was talking about politics and he was talking about racism. And he used an illustration that I just loved because I love C.S. Lewis, uh, but he was talking about um, the screw tape letters. And I don't know if you've ever read that book, uh, but to give you some context on the screw tape letters piece, um, so it's about this demon who's like overseeing all these other demons, and it's a fictional book, and he actually uh is give he has an apprentice underneath him who he's teaching how to cause a new Christian to stumble. Like that's what the book is. And the reason C.S. Lewis wrote it was for us to be able to see um, that we have an enemy. And he's got a plan. Like, we see that in Scripture, right? And we have to remember that, like, we do have an enemy that is here to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and so I want to read this part to you because it's, it's just so good, and it kind of explains, um, you know, kind of a point of view of what unity does um, within a church and just the power that's behind it. So I think it's going to pop up here on the screen behind you so you can read along as well. But this is, yeah, from the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. One of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity. Terrible as an army of banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, it is quite invisible to these humans. I love that so much. Terrible is an army of banners. When the church is unified and we are on the same page, Satan trembles at that. That's a big deal. There's a lot of power that's behind that. And, and I think sometimes as a church, we really struggle to, to live that out you see as you go through that book talks about this uh, new churchgoer coming into the church and he views the other people that are around him um, through the filters of their political beliefs or um you know what is their race what is their culture how do they speak what are they dressed like and that that immediately causes disunity amongst the church because we're not seeing each other as brothers and sisters in christ which is what Brad talked about last week. We have to understand our identity in Christ for us to be able to live that out. And then also to see our brothers and sisters that are in this room with us, um, God loves them too, no matter what their political beliefs are, no matter what their you know, uh, culture status is, whatever it might be, whatever they're wearing, that actually that is um, the way that we're supposed to view other people. And so Satan wins that battle every single time that we look at another person that's a brother and sister in Christ, and we don't look at them through their true right. identity as, um, as those that God actually loves and cares for.
0: Yeah, and that picture in that quote, when it said, Satan sees the church terrible as an army with banners, you know, that picture of banners and warfare is used a lot in the old testament in my favorite old testament passage isaiah 30 verse 17 it mentions it it actually says this says um it says you'll be left like a lonely flagpole on a hill or a tattered banner on a distant mountaintop and so banners are great what makes them so awesome you saw it in the clip that started the service it identifies who you are it identifies what kingdom you're fighting for Uh, you can see how big the army is because the more the army spread out, the more banners you need to be able to to identify. And on ancient battlefields, a lot of times one of the purpose was after the battle had started and it was waging on and you were starting to have some injuries and things, once in a while you had to regroup on that field, on that battlefield. And so what you do is they would look and they would see where the banner was and they would go back and they'd rally to that point. And that sounds all great and all, but the problem is that also means that the enemy can look, and they know where you're going to regroup. You're going to regroup at the banner. So in that verse when it said, well, you'll be left like a lonely flagpole on a hill or a tattered banner on a mountaintop, it's like, well, why is the flagpole lonely? Why is the banner tattered? Well, that's all that's left. Everybody's been defeated. You know? So there's the good side of it, but there's also the rough side, and then it, it can actually identify you, but it can also make you vulnerable for attack because the enemy goes... I've got them right where I want them in my sights.
1: Yeah, so. and so, like, Satan knows that. So he wants us to make sure that we're not, you know, one in purpose, one in mission. Like, he wants to make sure that we're definitely not one in love. Like, that is, that is one thing he doesn't want for us to do. And so when we are all together and unified around those things, and that we're all in together on those pieces— Um, it's, it's terrifying as an army of, of banners to Satan. We're actually waging war and, um, it can just be so easy to, to forget that part. But the other place in this too is, um, it can be a challenge for us to just not look at this and go, okay, well, we just need to play nice with one another. Right. Um, or just, we need to be politically correct. Um, the critical part of this is just recognizing the power behind unity and that we all have a responsibility for what that looks like and what we need to be doing as a church and as a person and as a follower of Jesus on making sure that we are doing the things that we need to be doing to make sure that we are a unified church. And um, yeah, and that's just so important. Um, we see in Matthew sixteen eighteen. Um, Jesus uh, references this again a little bit, you know with Peter and he says and I tell you you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it I love that so much like it there's power behind that We have to understand that we are on the same team and we have to understand that the end game um, Is going to end up being the same We have a political election that's getting ready to come up The end game doesn't change It doesn't change at all. Um, We have to recognize that, that that we do this every four years. (laughs) We do. Um, And that's the part that, like, it kind of makes me laugh, but it makes me sad at the same time that we as Christians have still not figured out how to do politics, um, you know, in a way that's not, you know, mean and hurtful and um, where we almost take our Christian hat off and we put on our elephant or donkey and we run that during the political season, and then we take that back off, and we put our Christian hat back on. And um, you see it on social media. Uh, you see it, you know. And we even talk about the the election, even after the election. Like after the election, there's the post-election where everybody talks about the next election. Like there's a time on Facebook for about 30 days. You guys know what I'm talking about. Like the after the election, where we're talking about four years from now when we get to do it again um that happens and that happens all the time and and i'm just wondering you know when are we going to as a church figure out a way to do this where we're living out our citizenship of heaven which you know craig is going to talk more about that next week but also our identity in christ and that we are brothers and sisters in christ and we need to be treating each other that way um, especially um, in this season and we also need to realize that this is something that's possible um jesus wouldn't have prayed this If it was impossible, Um, he wouldn't have said it. He wouldn't have asked for it if it wasn't possible. So I know it can seem like right now, especially as Mike was talking earlier, with everything that's going on in the world, it can seem so hard for us to have unity behind one another. But Jesus prayed for it. So, you know, what do we do with that? And what does that actually look like? Um, You know, in verse 23, you know, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. And, you know, that's the kind of church that we we need to be.
0: Yeah. The fact that our unity as a church is so powerful, the fact that we're not on the defensive, we're on the offensive, like hell has gates because they're on the defensive. You know, when we're united, like Satan wets himself. I mean, first service, I said Satan wets his pants, and then I quickly said, wait, I don't know if Satan wears pants because he's a spiritual being. (laughs) However, the point is, Satan's got fear up in here, when we're united like we're called to be. That's how that goes down. And Jesus did pray for us. So the question is, all right, what do we do with this? That's a nice prayer Jesus threw down. We've kind of seen some of the stuff he talked about. So where do we go? When I think about application, I mean, I, one of the things I think about is Mike Tyson. Um, because there was this quote that we stumbled across this week that I thought was so interesting. He was being interviewed about when he goes into a fight and they were asking him, well, when you fight Evander Holyfield, uh, you know, and you're going to go box him, do you plan a certain way versus if you fight this guy? And he was just like, Hey, here's the deal. I think this is going to go up on the screen. He said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. (laughs) Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And the truth is, you've resonated probably with some of what Jesus prayed. You're thinking, unity sounds great. It sounds awesome. And you're going to go out to your job or to drop your kid at school or to your living room at home today, and you're going to be wanting to watch football, and you're going to get punched in the face. And unity is going to want to wither up on you right away. So let's just do a little bit of self-assessment here. We're going to get punched in the face, but how can we really apply this? What do we need to be thinking about if we're going to be united as a church? Well, I'd ask this question first. It's actually, I'm going to ask it differently than it is on the screen. In light of last week, you know, we had the challenge, like we said with Brad. He said, never, ever burn a relational bridge because of a political view. So I'd ask you this question. Are you being a bridge builder or are you being a bridge burner? Ask yourself right now as a part of this church, as a part of this body of believers, this family, are you being a bridge builder or are you being a bridge burner right now? Because, you know, this week you might need to be ready on social media. Somebody might come to troll and they might kind of come at you and you're going to look at you're just either their comment, you're like, oh no, and, and, and it's going to be tempting to want to just power up and I'll just give the right answer. I'll show them I know what's right. But maybe what's going to be right in that moment to preserve that unity and be the bridge builder, is you just call me and say, hey, you know what? Shoot me a PM. Send me a private message. Send me a text. Because if you can get them off of that battlefield into private, and you don't make public what should be private, it's probably going to disarm the vitriol. It's going to make it so they don't need to feel the need to perform and and be right, and you can have a good conversation. You know, that happened with me, uh, a buddy, Spencer, that I know. Spencer's this interesting guy. uh, My freshman year of college, I remember, the first story I ever remember about him, we were sitting in our dorm in the the area, uh, in the lobby, and we were watching the Red Sox, who was his favorite team. They're getting throttled. They were down three games to zero. And Spencer was like, if they win four games in a row, and they win this championship series, and they go to the World Series, and they win the World Series, I will quit smoking and they won four games in a row, and they went to the World Series, and as soon as they won, we all looked at Spencer, and he goes, oh, I got to quit smoking, and he did, and, and Spencer, we have a lot of history, like 16 years, and I, I think of him, but we had a little, kind of a little sparring moment on social media last week, and we kind of got into it, we disagreed, it was not cool, and um, it wasn't super nasty, but you could tell there was undertone, and he shot me a message, and just private message. And we talked, and we talked it out, and we were good. I asked how his wife was. He asked how my kids were. We were fine. But it took taking it into the private realm, not letting it be public, uh, if we were going to keep that bridge built. So for me, that's a moment where I had to think about unity.
1: Yeah. And then another question that you can ask yourself, you know, as a church, you know, what is most visible to others in your life? Is it your politics or your beliefs? Um, when you're posting and you're talking, when you're talking at work, you know, what are those things that people oh. resonate with you? Um, do they know more about your politics? Or do they know more about, you know, your belief in God? And we need to be mindful of that, um, that we need to look at things more from the standpoint of not necessarily being right all the time, but what is the most loving way to handle um, a situation? And like he said, is handling a situation online probably wise? no, like probably not. Um, it's, it's hard sometimes because there's a lot of context that's missed. Um, it's, it's relational. And so even in this room, if you've got issues or you've got um, unforgiveness, bitterness, whatever it might be towards somebody here at the church, like we have to take care of that. Uh, because as we're moving into this all in series and we're moving into the things that we're doing in this community, like unity is going to be so imperative, like, not just important, but like, we're gonna have to, to be able to not only play well together, but do life together. And, and we, we don't need roots of bitterness and, and unforgiveness kind of sitting in the undercurrent of that because God is calling us to some big things. And um, we don't wanna give Satan a foothold, and we also don't wanna give him land. Like, we don't wanna give him room to run and play, like, on that. So let's be a church that's, you know, unified in that. Um, we need to play the long game you know, I talked a little bit about how elections are every single year. We were joking about um, like Y2K, like remember when the world was supposed to end like in the year 2000? Yeah, does anybody remember that? Am I that? Yeah, like yeah, Y2K, right? Um, and we did an election then and everybody was worried about the world ending and like they had all these thoughts and yeah, every four years after that we've had an election Um, and so we need to just pay attention to the fact that, um, you know, we, we don't need to just always be right, but are we being loving in the way that we're doing things? Um, you know, it just, it hurts my heart to watch the church. And I think this is why this means so much to me. It it hurts my heart to watch other Christians, um, attack one another when we could just be having a conversation like about this at the same table. Mm -hmm. and um i almost feel like sometimes we need to bring out the wwjd bracelets during this time of like what would jesus say and do um during election time because we really struggle sometimes because we want to be we want to be right and all of the stuff that's going on right now is Mm -hmm. very very real and it is highly charged um it's it's got some fear that's behind it and fear is very powerful So we have to just be very mindful as we're moving forward. So like when you're looking at your life, what is most visible? Is it, is it your politics or is it, you know, the things that, that you believe in?
0: Yeah. So we want you to be thinking about, are you a bridge builder or a bridge burner? What's most visible to others when they look at your life, your politics or your beliefs, your faith? And the last thing is this. How is your life showing other people a picture of who Jesus is? Because, yeah, we're getting ready to go all in. And when we go all in this fall and we make this push and go on this discipleship journey, it's going to challenge us who are here on Sunday mornings to invest more time and effort, more of our time, talents, and treasures than a lot of us have probably ever invested uh, in just to grow ourselves as we go and we try to connect with the 80-odd-some percent of people who don't know Jesus in this town. And what I think is so cool about SCC is this. Different towns take different attitudes when they see problems. So what are two of the big problems that we have in Shelbyville? Well, poverty is an issue for a lot of people, and addiction is a big issue. And it could be a real temptation in our world to just look and think, oh, well, that's just a money problem. If we just got some more wealth and we just had different people come, this problem would be gone. But what I love about this church is we look and we don't just say, oh, it's a money problem. You know, we can't just solve that with a bank account. It's not just financial brokenness. It's There's emotional brokenness. There's relational brokenness. There are other deeper things that we need to impact here. And we know that's a big undertaking. That means, yeah, at first, level one, we might need to provide some relief for people. And, well, we get to level two, Well, yeah, we're going to have to help people rehab a little bit. And level three, we're going to have to help them develop skills that help them go back into life and really function the way that they're really called to do so that they can hopefully be united with us on what we're doing. And man, when I ask myself, well, how's my life showing others who Jesus is? Um, Right before we moved back here, we lived in this neighborhood outside of Charlotte, and we had two neighbors Uh, they were probably early 60s, Mike and Sue. He was a truck driver. She mostly stayed at home. And I can remember when I moved into the neighborhood, I knew some of the neighbors. We were on this cul-de-sac, and there was our house. There was Mike and Sue's house. On the other side, there was a guy named Corey. He was a pastor. He and his wife had a couple little girls. And on the other side, uh, I'm spacing on their names, but there was a couple. They weren't pastors, but they were involved really actively in ministry at their church. And so Mike doesn't know that I know anybody. So I'm talking to Mike in the driveway. We're yucking it up. He's kind of a loud personality, but very generous. And he pointed, he goes, the guy next door, he's a pastor. And I like to blow his mind. (laughs) (laughs) And I really wanted to say something. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, shut your mouth, shut your mouth, shut your mouth. So I shut my mouth. And I just waited. And I told Sarah about it. And a few weeks later, Sarah said, Maybe I should bring it up. So we're out in the driveway and we're talking and stuff. And she said, yeah, and Mike actually works at a church. And you could see Mike's eyes were like, ah, no, (laughs) you know, and he realized he'd he'd, he'd sold me out. But I got to tell you what, despite some of that awkwardness, when you know the person next door doesn't know Jesus, every time you get the mail, every time you interact in the driveway, every time the ball that your kid threw goes in their yard and you have to go over, it was like I was a missionary. And I just saw it differently um, because of this couple that was tucked in right among. And it was so cool to think that all around our cul-de-sac, there were other people pouring into this, that I was united with Corey and this other couple on the other side. It was was incredible and it was purposeful, Mm. you know, because that's what we're called to. Unity means we're one in purpose, we're one in love, and we're one in mission. So, Jess, how do we land this plane today?
1: Yeah, so um, it can be super easy, like especially at this time of day, um, like I've been guilty of this before too, where you can go to the end of a service and be like, oh, okay, like if you're online, oh, this is the last song, so I'm going to click off, um, or you're already thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch, or where you're going to go rolls. afterwards. Pizza rolls? Really? Okay. Okay. More power to you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like this is—it's easy to do that. But what I would like to do as the worship team is coming up, I want to—I want to challenge us just as a church in general. So we are going all in this fall. Um, we need to be a unified church. We've discussed that. It's—it's it's biblical. It's imperative. Jesus wants that for us. It's not even something that. Um, it's a have to thing it is but Jesus wants that for us it's a beautiful thing because it's powerful and it glorifies God and people will see our church if we're unified he gets glory out of that And so I want to be part of that, like not because I have to, but because I want to be invited into that. Jesus invites us to that. And so as we're going to stand and we're going to sing together, I want us to think on like we're standing as an army of one, right? We are standing together, um, you know, following Jesus into battle here. He's inviting us into that. There is power in that. And there's excitement behind that. There's things that are getting ready to come up. Um, There's different ways that you can um, get engaged in this time of worship. There's boxes in the front and the back if you want to give your tithes. Um, We've been talking a lot about our time, our talent, our treasures. And so, you know, what does that look like for you and being unified with those things, with your time, your talent, and treasure? How are you unified as a church, you know, Mm -hmm. with those things? Mm -hmm. And so we're going to pray. We're going to sing. And if you have any questions, especially if you're online, about what does it mean to follow Jesus or I don't understand what my next steps are as being part of this church or being unified as one, make sure you go to insidesec.org and click on next steps um we would love to walk alongside you um on how you can be part of this and and what we're doing and where we're going and um, being part of the family of god so yeah so let me pray for you and then uh, yeah we're going to worship together so father just thank you for today thank you for the opportunity to serve um and that we, we got to just share um, this beautiful prayer uh, that you have for us. And we just thank you that you invite us into uh, the messiness and that we're allowed to, you know, that you've given us gifts and talents to go out and, and build the community and glorify you. And so I just pray that we would be a unified church, that people would get um, excited about being part of that, and that this community would see your glory because of our choice to be a unified church. And so I just pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.